This podcast is a presentation of Sunset Presbyterian Church. For more information, log on to our website at www.sunsetpres.org. Okay, thank you, Karen. Good morning, ladies. How is everyone? It was a little chilly this morning. I came outside and I thought, oh, okay. <laughs> but it has been beautiful. We've had some nice days minus the downpour yesterday. So that was, I was glad I was inside when that happened. Well, we're here. Um, we've made it. We're at week seven of our 10-week study, believe it or not. I found myself over the last week just reflecting, just where am I at with the study? I loved that Kimberly shared her heart and where she was at. And so just reflect on that for a minute. How are you feeling at this point? We're past the halfway mark, not quite to the end. We've learned a lot. We know we're still going to have a lot to learn. Are you feeling excited about what you've learned? Are you intimidated? Is there fear um, at the bottom of some of the things we've been asked? Frustrated, challenged by the questions? Those are all kind of things that I went through over this last couple weeks preparing for today. I know from the feedback we've gotten, which is great, we always love getting that, there's been some mixed feelings so far. Some of you are really delving into all the scripture that we've had, and that part has been really rich. Some are loving and or disliking some of the meditation pieces. Um, Being called to ask to write things down has been a little bit intimidating for some, and others have just stepped up and had no problem with that. So recognizing that we're all in very different places in the room um, with the study and what's been asked of us so far. Um, But with that being said, we've got to purge a hat. So from the first weeks and since then, as Kimberly brought up, we've been asked to write names down. Have you done that? Have you, do you have names on your heart if you haven't written them down? If you haven't written them down, have you thought about what's kept you from doing so? What's behind that? Again, is it fear? Is it fear of failure? Fear of inadequacy? I don't feel prepared. I don't feel ready. Where am I going to find the time? Sometimes that can come into play. Are you anxious about where to start or what that looks like in your day-to-day life? How do I begin? That could be another thing that's keeping us from doing that. If you're feeling any or all of these things, you're not alone. If you look around the room, I know there's many of us that are feeling the same way. When I thought about the disciples, um, typically I always think about they don't know the end of the story. So I always feel like we have a little bit of an advantage over them in that we know the full scope. We know that, yes, Jesus dies. We don't have to anguish over that. We weren't present even though we can kind of, anytime I think about it or there's been films made, it takes you there and it's heartbreaking, but it wasn't something we had to live through. We know that he rose. We know that he made himself present to them again. We know that the Holy Spirit came and guided them afterwards, but they didn't. So I feel like we sometimes have a little bit of an advantage. However, I feel like in this case, they have an edge over us. They were present with Jesus, and when he called them to follow him, they didn't necessarily know that they were going to be then called and sent. 
he does tell them, I will make you fishers of men. But did they understand what that meant? Did they know what the cost, what the privilege, what that was going to look like in their life? We know, on the other hand, we've been told from the beginning, our purpose is that we are sent to proclaim and demonstrate the kingdom of God. So we may have a different kind of fear than they did at that time. Jesus' prayer in John 17, 18 says, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. So what does it mean to be sent? What does it look like in the Bible? What does it look like in our lives? And this is kind of where this week's lesson took us. Our author started out by reminding us that God is a missionary God, that sending has been his heart and nature from the very beginning. We know that God's unchanging, so he would, this was his nature at the beginning, the middle, and it is what it is today. It's as true now as it was then. In, Jesus, in Genesis 1, through 28, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish in the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So we are his, we are made in his image and he created us. God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So it's right in the beginning. He's sending right from the start. God sent Adam and Eve. He sent them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So there they started it. Who else in the Bible was sent? We did some brainstorming last week when we were together as a teaching team, and it's amazing how many came up um, in our conversation. We have lots of examples of those that were sent in the Bible. Some were sent directly by God from his voice, from his command. He sent others through circumstances. Some accepted very willingly, and some maybe weren't quite so willing. So we have examples of both, which, again, that's God equipping us and showing us what it looks like on either end. Abraham and Sarah were sent. They were sent to go to the promised land. They were given Isaac. And so earlier we've talked about how God gives us people. So after a long waiting, they were given Isaac and they were willing to sacrifice him. We know how that turns out. But again, it was a willingness to be sent. It was a willingness to disciple and to bring Isaac up in the ways of the Lord. Joseph was sent a little bit more by circumstances. <laughs> His brothers sort of took it upon themselves to send him to another place. Um, he wasn't sent into good circumstances. He was in jail at one point. He was a servant. He got kicked out of that house. But in all of his circumstances, what I love when you read the scripture with his story is it just repeats God was with him. In every place, God was with him. So as we're going through, what I noticed is we're starting to see these themes. We were sent from the beginning. We were being equipped. 
and God is with us, just as he was of all these in the Bible. Moses was sent back into Egypt, but he balked a little bit at having to go back and confront Pharaoh. But I can't speak, Lord, he says. Well, if you think about how he was brought up in an Egyptian home of the Pharaoh, he was educated. He could absolutely speak, but he wasn't quite so willing. So God meets him where he's at, and he still sends him, but he sends him with Aaron. And Aaron is sent, and Aaron is willing, and he goes. And so together, they go to, to Egypt to confront Pharaoh and to do God's work. Um, there's many more. I'm trying to figure out. Gideon is another one. I love Gideon. He is an angel of the Lord came to him, and he was hiding in his little threshing area from his enemies. So he's doing his work, but he's hiding from the enemies that were very, very close. And God is telling him that he's going to send him. And Gideon has doubts, and he asks the Lord to just confirm what the Lord is asking of him. So Gideon had doubts, but his doubts didn't keep him from obeying. He was still willing. He just needed a little reassurance. I can absolutely relate to that. Saul, <laughs> love Saul. So he's the first anointed king of Israel. Samuel actually goes through the process of anointing him, but it's separate from the whole of the land at that time. So at the point where the tribes are, drawing, are throwing lots, and Saul's fam clan is chosen through the lots, and then Saul himself is chosen through the lots, and they can't find him. So Samuel has appointed him, anointed him already. He knows he's going to be king, and yet at the moment that this is going to be proclaimed to the people, he's hiding, and he's hiding in baggage, it says. And I love that because then we're told that Saul is tall. He's the tallest amongst them. So when he comes out and he's amongst the people, he is the very tallest one. Yet, he's trying to hide <laughs> from having this be present and known. And so again, we just see the humanity in his even being called and sent as their king. I love the story of Esther. She is sent by circumstance. So she was raised by her cousin Mordecai. Um, her mother and father had passed, and so he raised her as his own. So she's a Jewish woman, and their family, Mordecai and his family, were exiled. But at the time, the Persian king, um, let's see, long story short, basically he wants a new queen. <laughs> I won't go into the details of um, that. But... So Esther is brought to the palace. So she's taken out of Mordecai's home and she's sent to the palace. And she ultimately becomes the, the queen. And there's a time that the king's right-hand man is creating a plan to persecute and kill all the Jews. So Mordecai, he loves Esther. He's raised her. She was his disciple because he brought her up in the ways of their people. And even though she's out of his household, he's at the palace. He's still there supporting her, checking in on her. How is she doing? And when he finds out of the plan of their people being killed, he goes to her. He is able to see her, and he tells her, you've got to tell the king. 
So Esther's being sent to go to the king, which could cause her death. Ultimately, that's how, what could happen because there was a certain protocol for going in front of the king and she's got to basically call out what's happening from his right-hand man. So Mordecai continues to disciple her through that. He's in, and he's holding her accountable to her faith and to her being sent and being in this position. And I just love that full circle. And she does. She goes to the king. And she does it in such a way that it doesn't cause her death, but it saves her people. So again, willingness on both of their parts. Isaiah is the beautiful one. He right away, here I am, Lord, send me. He's, God calls him and he answers and he's willing right off the bat. There's many more. Daniel, Job, Jonah. Our study brought that one up. That's one we know from childhood, right? So Jonah's not so willing. Gets swallowed by a fish. The story is a little fun for us. It's a little bit in that mystical realm. And so um, if we turn from our calling and from being sent, are we gonna get swallowed by a fish? I don't know that that's what the outcome would be, but, <laughs> um, but it's that example of you're being sent and we're called to obey and to be willing. And when we're not so willing, God sort of helps us become willing Obviously, in the New Testament, um, Paul, Timothy, the names go on and on that were sent and that were willing and that went. There was a quote I found myself, um, when I'm preparing, I find myself being very, a lot more intentional, and I wish I could carry that through on the weeks that I don't lead our discussion or that I'm not teaching because there's just all kinds of little things that God sends me. And my husband and I sat down to watch a movie the other night, and we just needed something a little bit more relaxed. And we stumbled upon In at the Sixth Happiness. And I don't know if you've ever seen that, but it's about um, a woman, Gladys Aylwood, and she's a British um, citizen, fairly new believer. <laughs> she's uneducated, and she's a servant. She's a maidservant in the 1930s, and she becomes a Chinese missionary. She feels called to China, and against all odds and against a very, she had a lot of obstacles to overcome to get there, but she felt the calling. She was told no. Back then, she's trying to travel on her own. She has no money, and she isn't skilled in being a missionary. She doesn't even have the education that they typically wanted missionaries to have back then. And she's going to a land that she doesn't speak the language. So of course she's told no, and of course people are trying to talk her out of it, but that calling was so strong that she went and she found a way. So she said, yes, Lord, send me. She, um, she did amazing things. She was renamed by the people Awande, and it means virtuous one. She became the woman who would go around to the small villages and unbind the children's feet, and that was a huge deal. She could have been under huge persecution from the men. It was not, not a thing that was going to be accepted easily. And what's so amazing is when she went into these villages, 
she spoke, she not only invited the kids to speak, she spoke about Jesus and she shared her faith. So it wasn't just going and serving and doing the deed and serving the people, it was also speaking and proclaiming and demonstrating the kingdom of God. So she went that extra step despite fear, despite persecution. She brought her Christianity to the city of Yangchen. And the, the, one of the coolest things, um, the Mandarin there, who he's kind of the magistrate of the city, he obviously, Confucius was their way. And in the end, um, as the war is starting, she, he invites her to a dinner with him at his place. And all of the heads, kind of the ruling people um, of the city were there. And he proclaims, he says that she has not hidden inside of a temple contemplating how virtuous she was. She's unbound in the infant's feet. She helped the poor. She visited jails. She's taken orphans under her roof and she's nursed the woman, the wounded. Her faith is alive. More than anyone that I've ever met, she has demonstrated the power of love. She loved China so much, she became a citizen. He goes on to say that he admitted he had doubts with the merits of her faith against the merits of his Confucius ways, lots and lots of times. But Confucianism lives in my head, not in my heart. Christianity does live in her heart and in her converts. So even someone brought up in a different religion in a different way could see the difference because of how she lived and how she proclaimed her faith. And he ended with, I want to become a Christian. So someone just like you and me, like the disciples, uneducated, not necessarily having the skill, but she felt called. So she said, yes, Lord, send me. She went, she served, but she served and shared her faith. She went the next step and proclaimed Jesus, pointing everyone she met to him. God is ascending God. God sent Jesus, and Jesus embraced his sentness, as our author called it. He embraced it with every essence of his being. Jesus spoke it. He did it. He lived it out. He gave us that example. From our study, we learned that Jesus spoke of his being sent more than 40 times in the Gospel of John. We took a closer look. There was about seven scriptures that our author had us look at, and a couple of them really stood out for me. In John 5.30, Jesus tells us very truthfully, by myself, I can do nothing. I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. In John 6.38, he tells us, I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus knew it was his Father's will to be sent and to proclaim God's kingdom, to go and make disciples of all nations, but he recognized that he couldn't do it alone. So even Jesus knew, I cannot do this on my own accord. I need my Father. God will carry out his plan with or without us. We've seen that time and time again when we go through the stories of the Bible. We're reminded in our study of the Tower of Babel. 
Here, after the flood, the people of that city began to build a tower in order to make a name for themselves, not for God, but for themselves, and to keep them there. Exact opposite of what God called, what God was sending them, sending them to do. He wanted them to scatter. He wanted them to go proclaim his kingdom. So God took that, and he saw what they were doing, and he knew where it was headed, and so he knew what he wanted to have done, and so his will was to scatter them, and so he confused their languages. And so then naturally, they scattered from that. The fact that God's plan can't be unhinged doesn't mean that it lets us off the hook. It doesn't mean that we aren't called. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't be willing and that we shouldn't be saying, here I am, Lord, send me. God is ascending God. God doesn't send us right away as a new believer, especially oftentimes, without first equipping us. Jesus did the same for his disciples. Our Father and our Saviors show a depth of patience in taking in us taking action on being sent. So he's, God doesn't send us without first empowering us, equipping us, and providing a way to do so. He won't do it until we're ready. Jesus was willing to be sent, and he changed all of our eternal destinies. Whose destiny would, will change because we're willing to allow God to send us and proclaim the kingdom of God? Is there a cost to being sent? Of course. Do these costs outweigh the privileges is the question that we were kind of driven to this week. Some of the costs that were brought up as we worked through this study included being susceptible to temptation, physical, mental suffering, sadness, anguish, frustration, rejection, betrayal, betrayal by the world, betrayal by those closest, and ultimately sometimes death. If you think back to the questions I asked at the beginning of our time together, are there names on your heart? If there are, have you written those names down? If you've written them down, have you spoken them out loud? Have you shared them with your group? Have you shared them with a friend? Anyone? If you haven't, have you thought about what's keeping you from doing so? I'll tell you that when I asked these questions of myself, I was very convicted because I do have names on my heart. God's put them there, and he's put them there for quite a while. The names of the new believers and the kingdom workers, I have those names. They're written down. They're spoken out loud. I share about them often and frequently. I know what that looks like. We share the word together. We meet. It's coffee. It's lunch. It's serving together. But it's not just doing those things. It's driving one another deeper into our faith. It's holding each other accountable. It's speaking the truth with grace. I know what that looks like, and I know those names. For seekers, those names have been on my heart, but I haven't written them down. And I certainly haven't spoken them. 
why haven't I done this? So as I meditated on it, I recognized it as fear. Fear of the cost I would endure by obeying God and being willing to go and be sent. But it wasn't any of those costs that I listed up above. I felt like there was something different. Being sent means living missionally. It means living out the scriptures, obeying God and giving him all authority over my life and demonstrating that in my everyday life. It means pointing others to Jesus every day in everything that I do. When I thought about that in conjunction with all the examples that I talked about earlier, Jesus, the disciples, those that were willing, Isaiah saying, yes, Lord, here I am, send me. Those are huge shoes to fill. How do I live up to that? Gladys A. Wood, I am not, I've been on mission trips. I've actually been able to visit and spend time in China. I can't imagine being a missionary there. What she did, that's amazing. What Jesus did, his example, the disciples, how can I live up to that? Those are the things that were going through my head as I'm thinking about the names that God's put on my heart. Through this study, we've learned we need to be relational. We need to be intentional in those relationships. The first four disciplines we've talked about revealed God to us, reminded us of his word, that we have his gospel, and that gospel speaks truth with grace. Jesus gives us the example of how to pray and to pray always. We're reassured that our Lord protects us in all circumstances. We've been equipped, I've been equipped. So now I'm at the point where knowledge is just not enough, ladies. We're at that stage. Many of us have the knowledge. It's time for action. The action of being sent is a privilege. Dan Spader reminds us that being on mission with God is one of the greatest privileges in all the world. So that was my first little aha moment, with God. He's equipped me and he's with me. The Holy Spirit is there to guide, to provide the words when I don't have them. When I read this statement that being on mission with God is one of the greatest privileges in all the world. My reaction, I just thought, oh gosh, it's a privilege. I don't know what your reaction was, but mine was similar to when I hear, when I read Paul talk about finding joy in all circumstances, in all circumstances. Joys, good times, bad times, trials, suffering. Yeah, I'm not there yet. I'm just not. When it's hard, when there's times that I would rather not be going through, when I have to have a hard conversation, it's hard to find joy in that moment. Finding the privilege and being sent, it's scary. Big shoes to fill. Am I equipped? I, that makes me uncomfortable. All of these things, I'm not quite there yet. But it's out there, and I'm recognizing it. Author Robert Coleman says about the privilege of being sent by God and our unwillingness to be sent, he says this in his book, to disregard this privilege can nullify all that has been acquired in the process of learning. Indeed, knowledge unapplied to living can become a stumbling stone to further truth. Knowledge unapplied to living 
can become a stumbling stone to further truth. I sat with that for a few minutes. And how I kind of interpreted this was that we can have all the knowledge of the scriptures, we can have all the knowledge possible. If we don't apply it, if we aren't willing to be sent and go proclaim it and follow his will and purpose for our life, we can't get closer to God. We can't see him work. We can't see and feel the blessings that come from that. If we don't go proclaim him and his kingdom, we can't grow deeper into relationship with him. The God above trains and equips us, and we have the example of his son, Jesus. They know God and Jesus. They know, they know when we know enough to get started. We are sent, and so we are sent to do so. Will we be willing and accept as Isaiah did? Here I am, Lord send me. Or will we respond reluctantly and make up excuses as Moses did or flat out refuse like Jonah? One more quote from Master Plan of Evangelism by Coleman. He throws this idea out. Saying yes, send me makes us vulnerable. We're not perfect like our Lord. Those persons to whom we open our lives to will come to see our shortcomings. When I read that, I was like, there it is. That's my fear. My ultimate fear being that people see all of my shortcomings. I know that no one is under the illusion that I'm perfect. I know that in my head. But knowing that they'll see my imperfection firsthand scares me more than death. With death, I know where I'm going. I'm going home to my Lord and Savior. With failure here on earth, for all to see seems more painful because I have to face that failure. I know that I can possibly cause harm, and I still have to coexist with those that I've hurt or that have experienced, witnessed my failure. That hurt just doesn't go away overnight. Coleman goes on to say, while they see our shortcomings, let them also see a readiness to confess our sins when we understand the error of our ways. Let them hear us apologize to those we've wronged. Our weakness needs not impair discipleship when shining through those weaknesses is a transparent sincerity to follow Christ. So I was reassured, I'm gonna fail. I'm going to come up short, but that's okay. I recognize it, call it out, go to Jesus, go to that person, and then that's a beautiful reconciliation that everyone can see and feel. If we embrace our sentness, even our shortcomings will allow us to demonstrate the kingdom of God. By confessing our sin and seeking forgiveness, grace and mercy have an opportunity to be given, wit given and witnessed. We've been sent into the world to proclaim God's kingdom. God reveals himself to us in many ways and did so through Jesus. God provides us with all that we need. We have his words, his protection, and relationship through, with him through prayer. He's equipped us and has given us the Holy Spirit. God is ascending God and he calls us when we are ready and it's a privilege to be called. Our willingness, our here I am, Lord, 
is what he's desiring from us. Ladies, what are those names that are on your heart? Who is that person or who is that group of people? Are you willing to write them down? Are you willing to speak them out, to be held accountable to them from someone that you trust, your small group, whomever that might be? I recognize that I need to lead by example. So my neighbors, those are the group of people that are on my heart. I live in a neighborhood that is, it's on a dead end street, it's a bunch of duplexes, and um, not necessarily a lot of people that have a lot of means. God's placed me there, I love it there. I love the tranquility there. I know one neighbor in probably Oh, there's got to be at least 20 duplexes in our little spot. So those are the people that God's put on my heart. What does it mean to be sent to them? I'm not sure yet, and I'm scared to death. But I feel God nudging me, and I can feel the Holy Spirit there to guide me. Maybe it's doing more than just waving hello. Maybe it's actually saying hello. It's walking up. It's walking to the end of the driveway, like we learned about last year at the IF conference. Walking to the end of the driveway, extending a hand. How are you? Building that relationship, then being intentional about that relationship. Maybe it's extending a sweet treat at the holiday. Maybe it's inviting people to an open house. Maybe it's serving in some way with them or for them but I have to go beyond that step and I have to proclaim Jesus once I've built those relationships and once God leads me to do so. If I'm willing to say yes and I'm willing to say, I'm here, Lord, send me, then maybe through these different ways that God provides, they'll ask, why are you doing this? And I can tell them, because I'm loved by Jesus and he loves you too, and I want you to know that love. So with that, let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word, for your son, for his example, for his discipleship of all those that he brought into his fold. I pray that we take your words in. I pray that we go to our small groups and just share whatever it is that's on our hearts, share whoever it is that's on our hearts with our groups. I pray that we can just show you, demonstrate you and your kingdom in our everyday life with our actions and with our words when we're called to do so. I just pray that you bless these ladies, bless their time together, and just thank you for being a part of it and being present. I ask that you continue to pray our time together this morning in your precious, precious name. Amen. Go and enjoy your time together, ladies. <laughs>